welcome, welcome, everyone, and thank you so very much for joining me and Patrick for another episode of the new Talking Cloud podcast. My name's Grant Asplund. I'm thrilled to be here with you, and thanks so much for joining us, and of course, with the co-hostest of the mostest with the mostest. <laughs> Patrick, how are you, man? It's good to see you. Hey, buddy, doing well, doing well. You know, uh, I live in Western Canada, as I think a lot of uh, the viewers and you know. We are inundated by forest fires. I look out my window and it's orange. It's really, oh yeah, my. yeah. Like we're safe. You know, we're just outside yeah. of Calgary, Alberta. We're pretty safe here, but all around the province, there's tons and tons of grass fires. So, uh, wow. you know, thinking about all those people for sure today. Well, if you need, if, if Patrick puts a mask on, you'll all understand it's not a COVID <laughs> thing. It's uh, right. strictly to make sure he's breathing clean air. Well, here uh, in the Pacific Northwest, we've had our first heat wave that's been. Oh spectacular actually uh, although we had some uh, interesting kind of change had some um, uh, thunder uh, and lightning oh. in the hillside which was kind of fun to watch got a little different sprinkle. for you guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, really beautiful good weather so awesome. hey you know I'm super jet this week I mean I'm super excited we got a great uh, CISO I know for our guests so mm. let's not uh, Let's not waste too much time. Let's just jump over, uh, get this news taken care of, and we'll move on, okay? Let's do it. All right, off to the newsroom. Okay, so I've got just a, a few stories that I wanted to talk about. First, um, I thought it was interesting. My first thought when I read this headline was, that's going to be a box that'll be default checked yes mm. right? <laughs> so true that's right i mean who that's right. i mean I, I i gotta believe that's like a, a almost 10 out of 10 and what it is is that they're going to be uh checking dark web to find out if their users emails are out oh, there but at least they're also going to be offering some advice and i think what this really uh, speaks to is just the ever-increasing, growing awareness and uh, need for cybersecurity and protection. And in particular, remember, something, and I'm, I, I don't know exactly, but it depends on whose report you read, but I'll say that it's at least 90% of all, all breaches, uh, they start with an email. Right. So mm -hmm. oh, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. it's the tip of the spear, not necessarily right. carrying the payload, but it, it starts with an email. That's so, right. So it's good. It'd be good to know if you're mentioned, obviously, in an area where, you know, everything is basically nefarious. So, so yep. yeah, I, yep. I see it as helpful for sure. So speaking of emails, who has mm -hmm. not just been inundated? Look, I don't even use uh, Facebook, uh, Patrick. I mean, I, yeah. I remember I created a page really kind of more because my daughter uh, was into it at the time. This was several years ago. And, you know, sorry to all you uh, friends of mine that do frequent hmm. Facebook and feel neglected when I don't reply. But sorry, I don't. But, man, I was noticing, I think, you know, I got like 15 requests from the same person. And I saw oh, this. I, I saw this headline, and it explains why. Apparently, some hack, uh, uh, some some boo boo in the code that resulted oh, okay. in unintended friend requests being sent. So, so not a hack, a glitch. A glitch, yeah. I, 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 see. I didn't mean I hack, a, a, a glitch. But oh my god. Um, uh, yeah, explain some of the weirdness you've seen lately, huh? Yeah, well, I just, you know, I get way too many emails of junk anyway. But so moving on, you know, everyone knows that listened and frankly, anybody that's even turned the TV on or is uh, they know AI, 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 it's AI, AI, O. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's everything's AI. Yeah, and um, I actually was. Uh, watching a program I'm going to talk about in a second, but uh, this kind of caught my eye that, you know, we're getting all kinds, this is what happens, right? When code gets ripped off or is extensible and has as much open source within it, people extend it. And so here you can see a computer science student. Um, he's got a project called GPT for free. <laughs> 
And, and I saw a reference, and I don't have the details on it. I didn't get a chance to research it. And it has to do with my next story. Um, this is just really highlighting how it's out of control. We asked, uh, is, is it too late? That was one of the questions we had when we kind of had that segment that focused on this. And, right. and that uh, video, I encourage everyone to watch the AI dilemma from That's right. uh, the, um, uh, what is it, the uh, uh, for, center for, for Humane, yeah, the humane Center computing. for Humane uh, yeah. Computing, thank you, uh, or technology or something, but um, you got to watch it. You, you, you have to watch it if you haven't. I'm going to stress it again. But, yeah. you know, the issue is, is it's, begot, it's become so big and it's really out of control. Um, and this is my final story, and I'll bounce it over to you, buddy. Um, the uh, Judiciary Committee, I believe it was, um, testified today. So you had uh, Sam Altman, the OpenAI CEO. You had... Uh, Christine Montgomery from uh, an executive at IBM that's, you know, involved in all of their AI. And then this guy, Professor Gary Marcus. And I got to tell you, you really should watch this. Uh, mm. it, it's very, very interesting. And in particular, pay attention to the comments from uh, Dr. Marcus, because, you know, when asked, uh, you know, what should we do? These uh, uh, legislators are looking for specifics. He was the one that said, you know, we should have a, a an FDA or an equivalent, right? And that's mm -hmm. a, think about that. That's not having, um, a, a, that's an organization where you have to prove you've got a a, a drug or some food or something that's, not going to hurt anybody. That's and right. You've got scientists and experts that are digging all through it to verify and validate it. Uh, I, I think yeah, the bar is pretty high. It's very high. Unlike yeah. um, we should have legislation that put puts controls or governance, like right, um, right, with no enforcement anywhere. Yeah, yeah. that that yeah. really is is very nebulous uh, yes. in terms of how do we put a control around it. And the other thing that was interesting, one of the uh, senators asked about um, the whole idea of hurtfulness and what's hurtful to you might not be hurtful to me or maybe mm -hmm. significantly more hurtful to you than me and how these large language models are trained on what's hurtful. And inevitably, they're going to be influenced by the trainer. That's on right. On, on what's even the selection of the data set itself, right? Absolutely. And, and and so, you know, when you think about one of the suggestions was literally to have some sort of watermark that always informs the user: this is generate, this is generated, this isn't real, right? Uh, this is a generative uh, created image, um, not real, to somehow reveal all the time but you i mean just stop and think about that with the level of counterfeit we have in purses oh, exactly i mean do you think everybody's gonna be saying, find oh, another unethical ai and just have it repair the image for you yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. just crazy right. but you know I, i'm gonna get off my uh, soapbox with with this final statement ladies and gentlemen get informed on what's going on with these golems and mm -hmm. uh, make sure that w we all we all owe it to each other to be responsible because cat's out of the bag, ain't we're not going to put it back. So that's right, that's right. And if you're getting off the soapbox, I'm getting right back on it, buddy. Um, it's over to you, buddy. To talk, <laughs> thank you to talk about um, kind of my first story, and this one's kind of a hybrid of you know what we talk about the importance of AI and just a classic old. You know, an organization using some open source, um, finding a vulnerability in it and having that vulnerability kind of exposed to their end users. Of course, yep. in this case, their end users are people using ChatGPT who have a very vested interest in keeping their ChatGPT uh, chat sessions private, right? Um, sure. 
We already we already know about Samsung who used chat GPT to build code and then later found their code snippets in the engine being given to other users, right? So this mm-hmm. is a this is a big deal. Never mind that, but just people having access to, you know, a corporate user's chat history, a private user's chat history, that's oh. a that's a big big deal, right? And that didn't mm-hmm. happen here, but it's a good example of just how a traditional vulnerability we can't expect OpenAI to be any different. And and if you're interested, they do a great write-up about kind of what it is. Uh, they're fairly transparent and they talk about the underlying technology that kind of led to it. In this case, it's a very short period of time. You, you can't see chat history. You can just see a little bit of information kind of about about users that may be using the service at that same nine-hour window, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the this calls it a breach. Um, it really wasn't. It was a it was an unex, unintended sort of data exposure event, but it was wide. And and if you knew it was happening at the time, it, it could have been pretty disastrous, right? It's like so, leaving, leaving your curtains open when you're taking a shower or something. It is. I mean, that's it good. is. And and, yeah. of, and having the most valuable information inside that shower, right? Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> that's a it, it's it's a scary thing. It's just a simple bug that would be probably a lot less consequential with any other organization is a real scary thing, you know, for for OpenAI, and they're going to be a target. You talked about. It, they are absolutely going to be a target. They're, they're, we know what I mean. Come on, the bigger you are, the bigger you are a target. That's right. And when you boast a uh, hundred million users in two months, that's right. Who else can say that? No one. So, Nobody. so, so from a target perspective, you're enormous, and I can guarantee you, Patrick. Uh, the the odds are pretty good that at least one or two of those hundred million are nefarious, uh, are uh, bad actors, have yeah. uh, negative uh, intentions, right? Nasty, That's right. Uh, uh, That's nefarious right. intentions. So yep. it, it is very concerning. And again, my big concern is that there are so many aspects of this technology that we don't understand why, right? Go back to the video. Yeah. Why did it learn uh, math or uh, arithmetic? We don't know. Why did it start answering in Peruvian? We don't know. Yeah, and how? when? Why did and, it do and, this at the time it did? And yeah, we can't predict that well. And 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 how how did it acquire theory of mind? How? Why was it able to all of a sudden become uh, capable of thinking strategically? Mm-hmm. We saw that evidence. No one yeah. seems to be very alarmed by that. But I heard a statement by, I think it was the grandfather of AI, uh, the guy who just recently quit Google, and his comment was something mm-hmm. like, and please, it's not verbatim, but it's something like, I've never known of a more intelligent being being controlled by a less mm-hmm. intelligent one. <laughs> Boy, that doesn't say it all, does it? Boy, I mean, think about what, just think about that. Yeah. This is what we boast, we meaning you and I, human beings, right? I mean, we're the smartest, we're the superior. Some argue that's not true. Maybe some creatures are smarter, but at the end of the day, yeah, human beings rule the roost. Well, because... and let's tie it back. If, if if you remember that video, um, the AI dilemma, right? You, that statement could be true about this latest kind of second wave or the first. Yes. Right? Or the first first wave of AI that was kind of behind social media that we didn't interact with like we do with these kind of, you know, GPT uh, uh, yeah. models. But we're definitely choosing what we would see based on our activity, right? That, that That's a form of AI absolutely as well. Completely. Completely. Yep. It's really, it's kind of, it's... I, it's still kind of concerning. Well, kind of very concerning to me. But more uh, than kinda. No, no yeah, kidding. No more kidding. More than kinda. No kidding. Um, what I want to talk about next is something you know, pretty pretty true to to you and I's hearts for sure. We came from this. I feel very privileged that we came from this world where the you know we sort of defined what a cloud security posture manager was. It was this you know, um, always watching set of eyes that looked at all the configuration we made in the public cloud, mostly AWS, Azure, or GCP. Right. Uh, you know, made sure we did things for a, for a best practice kind of way. Um, you know, in the last maybe, let's say, five years for sure, we've seen, 
you know, more specialized versions of these come out. Uh, certainly we've seen the same on the workload side, but now we're seeing the same on the data side. And they call these mm. DSPMs or data security posture managers. They're more mm. focused on data and a little bit of identity, although I think that's maybe a separate bucket unto itself. Um, really interesting that, that Datadog only 18 months old is is ripe wow. for acquisition, it appears. Yeah. Wow. That's a good ROI at, you know, Couple of years old, you're onto a good idea. That's a it is. I think they that. raised, if I'm not wrong, I think they raised something like seventy million bucks. So it's really, yeah. you know, for eighteen months, that's uh, that's that's pretty great. And I think it speaks yeah. to the value of, you know, the fact that CSPMs were a great start, but they don't do everything, yeah. right? They're a real generalized tool. And now yeah. we've got these other other um, sort of pockets. We see some around data. We see a lot around identity. Yeah. Um, we see some around AppSec too. Kind of what. Yeah what cloud security did for uh, resources and infrastructure, kind of we're thinking about now how we, how we replicate that on the, on the application security side and take those lessons learned. So, you know, on one hand, we see all these surveys that say, we're using less and less tools, we want more wide platforms. On the other side, we see a lot of success, success like this with, yeah. you know, stratified tools that aren't all yeah. in one. Yeah, and I think also <clears throat> posture is becoming, uh, uh, more stratified almost in terms of I'm not just looking at uh, hey are my s3 buckets unencrypted right I mean we're getting more granular on what that's right what we're at at what things uh, we're checking the posture yep. of right yeah and, and and you know we were talking before it's kind of interesting how language has evolved in uh, the industry where you know, things like posture, right? Before posture, it was kind of configuration, huh? you know? It That's was, right. Um, and I think there's still, uh, and it, they're being addressed, but there's still some shortcomings with posture because it's still kind of a, hey, you're out of bounds. Uh, That's right. Hey, you're really vulnerable. Um, and certainly the next part of it is the remediation, uh, but, um, I, I think that a lot of uh, there's a lot of advancements that seem to be occurring within this now CNAP and who knows what uh, it'll evolve to be called uh, yeah. that are that are taking that next step from just the posture and actually doing, you know, some auto remediation, fixing it for you automatically. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be right. more of that going on. What do you yeah, think? two two things. I think that the the automatic remediation is absolutely true. But to your point too, like posture is one thing. You know, you can tell me my S three bucket maybe at a bucket level has you know no settings to enable encryption. But what if I encrypt everything in that bucket by hand away from the AWS as a service, and you know I don't I don't care about that or I know that right. So right. I think I think CSPMs where the first attempt did a good job, but were fairly chatty in their alerts, you know, raised some alerts that didn't make sense. Yeah. Now, if we combine them with something that can see deeper into the bucket, can measure actual uh, items in that bucket, can, you know, can measure even what's around it. You know, yeah. the, the yeah. real strength here what is a combination of, yeah, a yeah. CSPM knows the network, DSPM yeah. knows your storage. Yeah. When we can combine those two things, boy. And I'm sure that's yeah. what the suitors for, uh, for, for uh, Laminar are thinking about, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Enhancing Datadog and Rubrik, both kind of enhancing, being able to provide a lot deeper knowledge to, uh, well, it's interesting. to that intelligence. It's interesting, you know, when you think about um, how the dynamics change because of the kind of access that's available. And what I mean is, is you know, I really never had a chance to crawl, search, assess, or dig into through any means when everything was inside your network. Mm. Yeah, that's right. But now that everything is literally out there, the the and and I, of course, after allowing permission for me to connect to an account, of course. but the but the subsequent discovery is 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 really very remarkable because it, it, it the potential is so great compared yeah. to just inside my own uh, compound just inside my own network that i segmented and i built and i addressed and i own right and, and right. 
I think it speaks to the need for the kind of emerging tools that have that ability to, to, to really go in and look at all of the potential ways that could be used that could result in a breach mm-hmm. and actually play it out beyond just, hey, this is open, hey, this is open. But then, you know, kind of taking it to the next step of, of tracing the lines. That's oh, right. Nope, that, that one blocks. Okay, what about this one? To trace it, oh, nope. That's or, right. And we see know, that. We see that yeah. in the second generation CSPMs. We see yeah. that in the first generation DSPMs because they're newer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. yes. It's, and it's, that it's, mapping. it's exciting um, how the industry's going. I love it um, because it seems like so many. I'll give you a goofy example. It's kind of outside of it, but I think it really epitomized how things have changed so much. And we still are not always talking with different words. And, and users and access. Think yeah. about users and access and devices in 1990, Mm. in, you know, even 1980, but 1990, then go into 2000s, 2010, and the drastic changes in terms of users and access and devices. Radically different in all three. I mean, I mean, just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Now we still in, talk in about in 1990. Users. All your users are local. They're all defined there. It's all pretty Precisely. straightforward. They Precisely. don't roam. They have one device. Compare that against today. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ubiquitous connectivity. You know, identities uh, everywhere. Always on, everywhere, yeah. 24/7, 365, with a bandwidth that's continually getting bigger. It's, but we use very similar words. Yes. Our users, our devices. But if you really step back, we can't, that that whole space has radically changed because now I could be at my grandma's house using her iPad and still want to get some work done. Yeah. I got to access. Just the fact that your grandma has good enough internet for that. I mean, my <laughs> right. Lord, right? Just that yeah. fact. Boy, it's ubiquitous. Every, it's yeah. everywhere. It's yeah, true. For sure. It's true. For sure. And, and look, you know, this, I have this fact highlighted on the screen. It, as of 2022, more than 60% of all corporate data was stored in the cloud. That's a really loaded statement. And our next story is going to deal with headlines that are really loaded and maybe a little bit uh, inflammatory. But I think the takeaway is that there is a ton of really sensitive data. You know, Grant, you remember when we started this journey and we had the security questionnaires from all the leading brands you would know, they wanted to know, okay, you know, where is my data going to be? And this was only metadata. This was metadata that, that, you know, Dome 9 at the time produced. Where is it going to be? How is it going to be secured? Um, You know, what region it's going to be? There was data sovereignty questions around data. Obviously, a lot of that has been worked out because we, you know, we trust the fact that our data resides in there. And to your point about, you know, the, the last statement, all it takes, it, it often, depending on where the data lives, is a small little slide of a console button to make this public. Versus, yep. if this was behind my firewall in the '90s, I would, I would have to go through lengths and change control and approvals just to get a new user added. Never mind a, a, a hole poked in a firewall and a path created. Right now, it's even, literally a toggle. Even if I, even if I just totally foobarred a new app that I pushed out to all my users, it, it still doesn't represent the exposure and the risk. No because it was contained within my fishbowl, yep. right? That's right. And, and, and the exponential exposure, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Anyway. It is. It, it really is. Uh, this is the last one. As promised, you know, that's, it's, that's a doozy of a title. Cloud security alerts take six days to resolve. Wow. If that's true, my whole career has been a lie. You know, that's yeah, for sure. I, I, <laughs> it, it, my first question is, where's the rest of the sentence? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's I mean, right. Well, and there is a little bit, right? But but th- that's a doozy of a of a, of a, uh, it's of a great headline, headline for sure. It's a great it is, headline, it is. you know, it because is. the but that's that's like saying, you know, something emphatic that you know, it's almost to the point where it kind of well, 
give for me anyway it's like oh come on that's there's that's not true i i mean you can get an alert and fix it right away if you've had the tools in front of you so that's right uh, obviously that's right. there's more to it uh, absolutely and and the reason i wanted to bring it up is some really interesting little tidbits in here this one's really good five percent of security rules trigger 80 percent of the alerts meaning only a small number we're doing a small number of things very 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 wrong hmm. and i'm sure those things are identity and um uh conditional access to your point you know yeah. when i have a contractor and they need something done i'll make that change but then will i be disciplined and remember this is at scale where i've got tens or hundreds or thousands of accounts and all this yep. activity going on. Do I have yep. the rigor? Do I have the process to go back and follow it up and close that hole later and justify it? And you know, does my does my IT team have that process and that bandwidth to be able to do that? And, and, and I don't know, you know if people really always understand the ripple and how far that ripple, if you will, will continue to go if you if you don't stop it. Right. I mean, yes. there and it is precisely because we're not really totally contemplating and appreciating the uh, uh, when you have an identity. The only reason you have an identity is an associated privilege or, or policy right. or, or capability. Yep. So that means you have to make sure you, it's like a pipe. You know, there's a hole on both ends. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and the other thing that I thought was really interesting in this article was uh, the fact that, you know, we have leaked credentials stored everywhere. And if you've been paying attention to that second generation of CSPM market, they search for these, even in the generic kind of CSPM. Now now the CSPM is responsible for, for workloads too, right? In this kind of agentless approach that we've seen popularized right. by by the, the two big ones and then adopted by everybody else. But, you know, they will, in those workloads, search for these very specific things, credentials, uh, logins and passwords, right. tokens, all this kind of thing, right? Because it's a, and, and we know better, if, if you're building for the cloud at least, you no longer have to do this. There's a way to, you know, provide these credentials to your app in a, in a runtime kind of way for a short period of time when the resource, right. when the machine boots, you don't have to embed these in configuration files, right? But it's a, we've talked about this, that the cloud looks very familiar how different is it than the virtual server in your data center? Well, it turns out it's a lot different. <laughs> it's got a lot <laughs> more right. capabilities, right? That's so right. the things you did in your nice trusted little network, to your point, you can't do here, like embedding credentials. Yeah, exactly. You can't. When it's, a, when it's a toggle switch away for access, you can't do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that toggle switch, I think the other key point there is it looks like every other toggle switch. And I got a lot I'm doing. Meaning, you know, you got, there's you there's bet. there's a lot of screens. There's a lot of configuration check boxes and toggle switches. That's right. And, More screens and, than we ever have time for. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and it's 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 why configuration errors still continue. I think it's in in the seventy percent now instead of ninety nine in terms yes. of concerns. But it's I mean it's still a big one. It is, and I think this statement is is a really good. Um, uh, indicator or or weight for the DSPM, right? Because a, a cloud security posture manager, other than the, ne the this next generation that start to do this, won't tell you, hey, you've got embedded credentials somewhere. They don't have right. that visibility. Right. A DSPM, uh, at least a good one, will. Right. It won't just yeah. tell you about the bucket. It'll go in. It'll it'll search that content in your S3 bucket and it'll say, hey, I found credentials. Uh, yeah. And worse, if I find credentials in an open bucket where there's a real path to, I want that risked higher than anything. Yeah, exactly. If I find some exactly. credentials in a private bucket, I want to know about it too, but I want that risk way, way down here, right? So sure. context is another really important piece of this. But, you know, I, I thought that was a really great statement that kind of wrapped up uh, this uh, with a nice bow on it for sure. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, we're going to, I think as we continue, there's no question data. This will be the topic. It's data access to data, exposure to data, control of data. It's, 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 it's going to be data, finding the data. It's all, everything's going to be around yep. the data because data and all, relationship to identities. That's it. Because all the other limitations are going away. And what I, what I mean by that, when I say limitations and I've talked about it, we've talked about it before, but I mean, things are getting fast. Yep. 
things are getting always connected yep. and the devices are keeping up with me. You know, they're oh, also yeah? really fast and always connected. And as those things happen, it's those are game changers because the technology can continue to become more and more invisible. Yes. Right? It, 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 right. it, it, it's less and less of a, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, I'm waiting. You know, that's less of an issue. And as that becomes less of an issue, it's the data. The data is getting to me faster. More amounts of it are able yep. to be moved around and accessed. I mean, I'll give you a goofy, stupid example. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, my wife said to me, hey, I've got this... SBA loan application and they want our tax returns from last year. The effort I'd go through, mm. even, even 10 years ago, even five compared to today, I went to my laptop, bing, bang, boom, this link will expire in you know six hours. She gets it, click, download, she's got the 35 megabyte PDF of our complex tax return. Boom. Wow. No, no doubt. And, 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 and my, the younger my, you are, the more you assume this just is the way it is. That's yes. right. And the older you <laughs> yeah. are, like me, the more you're amazed you are. But my point Absolutely. is, it's the data. Yes. Oh, it's. I mean, hey, buddy. The fact that in two in two days, I'm about to travel 16 hours by car to go install my internet in the middle of nowhere. I'm moving to a, 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 a the middle of Canada with zero infrastructure, mm. and 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 I'll have 200 at least 200 meg down in the middle of the bush, thanks to Mr. Musk, whether you love him or hate him, right? So now, yeah, but this, but this, truly ubiquitous anywhere you are, yeah. anywhere, yeah. And we're not talking yeah. a little bit of you know cellular bandwidth. We're talking a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, and so your ability to move a 35 megabyte uh, tax return of 70 pages, which has some yeah. pretty important data. Whoop. Absolutely. And this, right. is, this, this is what I mean. It's all about the data. All about the data. It's all, it's all about yeah. the data, man. Well, I always, you know, sorry, we had a nice long one today, but I really enjoy chatting with you. You're such a smart guy. Uh, it's Enjoyed. fun to kind of, it's just fun to really ponder where this is all going. It is. Um, it's exciting. Implications of everything. Yeah, yeah for it's, sure. It's exciting and we're fortunate to be in it. So, hey, I know we have a CISO we're talking to this program. So why don't we go find out who it is? Let's do it. All right. Thanks, buddy. everybody. Thanks. You. You know, I'm so excited about our guest today. I can't even tell you. Um, I'm not even going to spend any time telling you anything about Ken. Uh, really going to be a great uh, conversation. So let's go ahead and let him in and, and get okay. started. There he is. Mr. Foster, how are you? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm terrific. Thanks so much for being on the program today. Yeah, no problem. Let me uh, trying to get into a parking lot so I can park here. <laughs> well, that, that's probably it's, safer. It's been you one. Know, of, it's, it's probably safer. It's been one of those days, Grant. It's, it's definitely been one of those days. <laughs> well, it, I, 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 I can say fairly confidently, we've all had them, my friend, and uh, it's awful gracious of you to be willing to. Put it, oh. pull it over and put it in park for us for a few minutes. So thanks a ton for joining. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So. so let me just, you know, dive in right away. Uh, I'm going to call you Ken. I hope that's okay that is, instead of Kenneth. That is, that is perfectly uh, fine. Uh, but I want to introduce you to my hostess, uh, co-hostess with the mostest, Patrick Pusher. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't can. know if you know Patrick, but, you know, Patrick is very long. He's always very modest, but you know, he's been in cloud for a long, long time, done a lot of interesting things. And I always felt uh, sort of shorting people because I didn't have the technical chops uh, on the program. That's why I've had uh, Patrick on me. And, you know, he always makes sure I'm 
not off the reservation too far. <laughs> um, but no, I, he's a great guy. Uh, Ken and I met, gosh, Ken, I think it was in the pandemic or it was somehow during. Oh, it was probably uh, actually, right in the, it was actually probably before then, to be honest with you. I mean, this is probably back in your early checkpoint days and back when yeah, was, yeah. yeah you know that's that's you know yeah it's crazy i forgot you know i was looking on when we actually connected but you're exactly right it was um i you know i don't know maybe it's just the fact that i'm getting sold i forget so many <laughs> times but enough of that so listen uh, thrilled to have you on uh, Talking Cloud Podcast. I really didn't give you the kind of introduction I think you're really warranted or worthy of. Um, I always like to, you know, give you the kind of, I'll give a preamble and I'll read through, but I don't want to take 30 minutes of the program just reading all your history because you've got quite a bit. Roland's, Fiserv. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, I have, uh, th thank I've, you for your service, brother. I appreciate that. You know, you did uh, that. As I tell uh, everybody, now, uh, that's not what I did it for. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys uh, for acknowledging it, and just ask the people do things that make me proud of why I did it. So right on. It's all I ask. I what a great way of putting it. So so now, uh, for the last nearly two years, you've been VP Governance Risk Compliance uh, over at Fleet Corps. Yep. Um, a very seasoned security executive. I think that's an understatement. With It seems like a really great uh, angle or stint or, or highlight on compliance, risk, GRC, mm -hmm. that whole space and i know patrick's got some questions but why don't you before we push it from the dock too far uh take a couple of minutes and just go through your background how you'd like to introduce yourself uh to the audience yeah and like i said i i've, I've been doing this for a little over 25 years now you know in mm -hmm. some form or fashion back in the day when i started into this was while i was in the navy and uh, we called it information assurance back then. It, it was well before <laughs> the cyber security side of it. And uh, yeah. it ultimately comes down to the, how do we manage that confidentiality, integrity, accessibility thing? And I think it's been that whole sense over the years is whether I've been in the IT operation side of the house, which I did that for quite a bit of my career, or the cybersecurity side of the house, which I've done that for quite a bit of my career, or as I transitioned into, let's call it, eh, it's been about six years ago, uh, where I said, you know what, I'm going to focus on this this GRC side of this, right? And when we started talking about risk and compliance and governance, it was like, I don't really hate to say it this way, but compliance was not my focus. It was how do I translate risk and how do I build a governance program that allows us to still do what we need to be doing from a business side of the house, right? How do I sure. look at a governance and a risk program? How do I lay a cybersecurity strategy over that? And how do I integrate that? So, you know, about, about six and a half, seven years ago, I went, you know what? If I'm going to do this for a long time, I better know how to talk risk. And I better understand how to talk governance. And I'm not talking the pure risk and governance that most people think about from a cybersecurity standpoint. Part of me was like, I need to understand how the business looks at risk, how the business mm -hmm. looks at governance. What does the board care about when I talk risk and governance? And if I don't have a good understanding of that moving forward, I think it makes it difficult for me to be an effective security leader down the road mm -hmm. if I do not have a good understanding of that and I don't know how to talk in their language. So about six, six and a half years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to step away from the CISO role that I had at the time and I'm going to move to this side of the house because I think that's where, I think that's where we were failing, partially failing as an industry. We were not mm -hmm. having those conversations in a enterprise risk, business risk conversation we were having those we were having those conversations in a 
call it a vacuum, if you will, but we were having those conversations and I solely looking at it as, as we have cyber risk. Granted, we do. It's a big vector. There's a lot of things coming to us. But how do we talk about that in a way that the business understands why there's value and what the reasoning is behind what we're trying to do so they don't look at us as the guy who says, oh, there's a new shiny toy out there and I need to go buy it and put it in my right. and put it into my program. Big and cost then get, center. Big cost center, right? Cost, cost center, not business enabler, I think is the way you look and at this, right? I think yeah. – and um... – it's kind of the thing that we've inevitably uh, always fallen back to in the world of cyber uh, security is the fear. Hey, yeah. if we don't, right? And the, and the difference, it seems, is when you move into describing and talking risk with a business executive, you you can't saber rattle it's got to be in the context of why it matters to me, why it matters to well, our business, right? You brought up a great point, Grant. It's why does it matter, right? It and, and you see this across the board is measure what matters, perform hmm. what matters, do what matters, right? Because in a lot mm -hmm. of cases, I think we've looked across the board and go, bad guys are doing bad things and we need to do things because – there's this risk out there. And, and it is. I don't want to downplay that. Yep. There's risk right. out there. There's things out there. But what does it mean to me? What is the context? And I often say this, right? Data without context is noise. Data with context is intelligence, right? And as we look at intelligence and we figure this out and we start looking at context, we start having these conversations. And if I've had the conversation, which I should have had very early on as a security leader with my board executive team, what is your risk appetite? And what does risk appetite mean to you? How do right. we look at risk? How do we understand how that impacts what our business is trying to accomplish? Because we're yep. our business is trying to make revenue. <laughs> They're trying to make money. That's how they pay my salary. That's how they pay everybody else's salary. So yep. how am I enabling that revenue or how am I impacting that revenue? If I'm not having that conversation up front, I am now the the guy who's in the way. And if I'm the guy yep. who's in the way or the department is in the way or I'm the toll gate, I've put myself in an untenable position moving forward. If you're not, yeah, if, yeah, if you're yeah. not enabling, you're inhibiting, <laughs> right? Right. You're, 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 you're the obstacle, not uh, um, the accelerant, right? Yeah, if you, uh, if yeah. you ever you run a program yeah. and got to the point where you're the toll gate, You've approached the program incorrectly. That's my opinion. It may not be a popular opinion with some of the guys that I've known have been doing that, but if I've ever gotten to the point where I am the toll gate, mm -hmm. I have done I have designed my program and I've approached it incorrectly. We could be it, talking about backups and DRP. It's the exact be. it's exact Absolutely. same scenario, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Patrick. Absolutely, because if we start talking about and 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 and, and let's let's take that language, right? Let's take that context and let's go back up DRP. Okay. Well, what we really should be talking about is business resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. And business resiliency yeah. is not just backup in DRP. It, it is also cybersecurity. It's also operational excellence, right? So we, as we look at this overall picture and go, how do we make our business more resilient? And what are the things that could impact resiliency? Some of that is operational performance and how well our programs are designed and how we do change management and just all that. I've had the advantage of running that during my career, so I have a good understanding of that as well. But then I moved to the cybersecurity guy, side of it and go, all right, how does cybersecurity impact resiliency? What am I doing to limit risk and to limit that exposure and also make sure that I am building a program that allows us to operate at the velocity that the business needs to operate at, understand what we're trying to accomplish from a 
uh, revenue generation and that. And how do I enable that from a security standpoint? Make sure I build a program that allows us to operate with a reduced overall risk profile, but also not stop the business from doing what the business is it needs to be doing to generate revenue. And that's where I think a lot of a lot of us fail is we don't take that attitude and we don't take that approach to it. We go, well, this is a ri- this is what the world is where we live today. Bad guys are attacking us. They're coming at us with this thing. And it's like, they are, but if I don't understand my overall risk appetite, my overall attack vector and how I can enable the business and reduce risk, but still allow us to have that conversation, I'm now a roadblock and I'm now causing us to impact the way the business moves and the speed that business moves. And we should be thinking more about that up front and going, let's put something in place that allows the business to operate the way they want to operate at the speed they want to operate, but illuminate the inherent risk or the residual risk or the emerging risk that is coming at us because we do certain things or we may have this profile or we may be operating in this country. And it's, it's brought, something we we've raised attention to people who may want to cause harm because we're doing certain things a certain way and how do we address that in a way that keeps us doing what we need to do but also overall limits the impact if somebody does attack us so i I think those conversations are missing a lot of times when we're when we're looking at it from a business standpoint and and let's be honest we are no longer in the business of I'm a security guy and you need to do what I tell you to do. We are a business role that should be having conversations at a business level. And if you're not moving yourself to that conversation, you're a little behind. (laughs) Just, just no doubt. doubt. Yeah. I I wonder, Ken, how, um, cloud or utility computing in general affects those conversations. I see it on two sides, right? You, you talk about the speed of the business. I think the the speed of the business, largely due to technology, but that's certainly not the only factor, seems to increase all the time, you know, over time, right? There's this kind of almost exponentially, maybe not, but, you know, increases over time. Um, how do we... So as security professionals, we know too that not just the good guys have access to this great sort of you know utility platform, the bad guys do too. How do we represent that risk to the business then in a way that makes sense and that they understand? Or, so again, or is that our job at all? No, it's absolutely our job. So, uh, and I would, I would say if, so I think the business looks at the, the cloud as the, and it, and I will say, even as I look at it from a security professional, or even if I go back and put my IT operations hat on, the cloud is an, is a set of tools that enable me to move faster, right? They remove things out of the way from a traditional on-prem procurement remove cycle. Friction. They remove friction, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a great yep. point, Grant. They allow me to do things faster. The problem I have seen over the years is, is if you still have the mentality of we're going to take what we do, lift it, shift it, put it into the cloud, that doesn't do anything for us, right? What that has done is taken whatever practices we're doing, put it in somebody else's data center, hasn't done anything else for us other than absolutely probably make it more expensive to operate because we haven't refactored. We haven't looked at the ways uh, and taken advantage of what the cloud gives us, which is economy of scale, the ability to do things faster, to refactor things and move them in a way. Now, when I go back and look at this and go from a security standpoint, if I'm a traditional on-prem security guy, I need to understand that things have changed. I don't have visibility. I don't have the same tooling that I would have had on-prem, and I need to understand what those differences are, right? And that's either upskill my team, which hopefully we're all looking at how do we upskill our team. or All the time. All the time, right? <clears throat> because uh, I'm a, I had this discussion last week. 
there are plenty of people out there who want to be doing what we do in cybersecurity. We have put barriers in place that make those people who are interesting in shifting careers and moving over to our side of the house, that make them hard, make it very difficult for them to come have a conversation with us and make it difficult for them to look at how they're going to move into our world. They're going to help us. And they may be smarter than we are in this cloud world. Well, we've put a barrier in place that says, well, you've got to have 10 years of experience in a technology that's only been around for four years. Or we've written a really bad job <laughs> description, you know, and, and, and we're unwilling to bring them on and have them help us learn. So that's that's a whole different tangent that we can get on, and I'd love to have that conversation. Yeah. But I am the I am a big proponent of the fact that we don't have a shortage in people who want to come to cybersecurity and work on this. We have done a very poor job of making a pipeline that allows people to move over and help us in this. Cycle. Bar's pretty high. Bar's, Bar's pretty, high, pretty high. And we've done it to ourselves yeah. because yeah. I am, I, I, if I am looking for a guy who can come in and hit the ground on five different tools that I have and I'm unwilling to teach them we've done stuff, and I'm also only willing to pay him half of what the typical person's paying for 10 years of experience. I have done that to myself. I know too yeah. many people out there who are looking to move into our cybersecurity side of the house and we've made the bar too high for them to move. So <clears throat> it's a soapbox of mine. I, I'm a, happy to have yeah. that conversation with anybody, but we have made the shortage of cybersecurity professionals. We've done it to ourselves. Because we haven't yeah, figured out yeah. how to have that conversation and how to get these people yeah. who are interested in doing what we do and have the chops. We're just unwilling to train them and let them have access. So it, would, yeah. part of it, part of it, though, too, I think, you know, most of the people I talk to that that uh, I don't often talk to cybersecurity professionals that have been doing cybersecurity for one or two years. It's kind of interesting. So that's the problem, it's, right? That's the problem. Grant. And, and we yeah. do need, we do need that. But, but, but uh, the counterbalance that is, you know, 25 years ago, you know, we needed to know about a firewall, you know, an antivirus and, so, and, and all of those things have kind of, you know, we've collected all that stuff as the snowball's grown. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, I'm and, just, and the and I think and the it's a tough is, industry to understand how big it is. It is. Um, because the people that are evaluating you before you come in are expecting you to have that same uh vast snowball of knowledge well and here i'm gonna i'm gonna put it this way so 20-ish a little over 20 years ago when i started doing this my training was in missile radar systems i worked on missile radar systems i had some I had a lot of deep electronic engineering understanding. I had some Unix understanding because that's what I was ran. Say, yeah, bit of Unix, bit of Ada eighty three, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, back in those days, <laughs> yeah. right? I I knew how to write some stuff in Unix. I knew how to work on Unix mainframes. I knew how to do that. Well, he said cybersecurity didn't exist. The yeah. PC was new. Networking was new. I had a curiosity that, to be honest with you, stemmed from computer early computer gaming. <laughs> because me and a group of friends of mine were stationed on a ship out in the middle of the ocean for six months at a time. And we're like, we need something to occupy our time. Some of the radars we worked on is like, let's build a network. Let's build a file system. Let's figure out how to do this stuff. So I had a curiosity. And next curiosity. thing you know, you're playing Doom on the network. Exactly. <laughs> right? Then, you know, lo and behold, the the command was like, hey, we need somebody. We built a website. We need somebody to be designated as an information assurance officer. And they're like, you know a lot about this stuff. 
you're now the information assurance officer. So I kind of fell into it, right? Yeah. But to be honest with you, there's a lot of guys who are my age, right? And started out like I did. We all kind of sure. fell, we all kind of fell into it, right? We all took a non-traditional path mm-hmm. to what is cybersecurity. I think we really need to go back to our roots and think about that. Because if we're putting the roadblocks ourselves in place to go, most of us, look, I'm the guy who tell you, I have zero formal cybersecurity training. Zero. I got you beat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I but, mean, I'm this, you and I are the same, brother. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I have same. zero formal. I've been a CISO twice. And the last CISO job, I walked away from it to go move to where I thought the industry was going because I'm Mm. looking forward thinking going, I can be a CISO. I can do what I'm doing and be happy with it. But where I want to enhance my careers, I need to understand and learn more things. So I think that curiosity is in me, but I also think that's in a lot of the people who are moving into cybersecurity. They have curiosity. We need to nurture that. We need to build programs that allow them to move into it. And when we're talking cloud security, right, the speed and the velocity of what we're doing at cloud is great. What we need to do now is look back and go, okay, the vernacular has changed. Maybe the ways we do things are a little bit different, right? Like maybe I don't have a traditional network infrastructure like I normally would on on on-prem, but now I've got VPCs Mm -hmm. and I've got security groups and I need to understand what that is and I need to get my head around it. Oh, and by the way, AWS calls it VPCs. Oh, Azure calls it this. Uh, Network groups, that's what they call it. GPC calls it something different. But the the truth is, is there's very little difference in how they operate, but there's some different language about it. So what we need to think about is go, okay, we still have these things that we need to do at a basic level on how to segment, how to allow access, how to encrypt data. It's still the same stuff. There's some differences to it. Yes, there's a velocity change. Absolutely. Because now people can do things faster than they've ever been able to do them on prem, right? Because they don't have to yeah. purchase hardware. Right? They don't have to buy a switch. They don't have to buy a server. They can literally turn it up, add some compute, get it running, which is phenomenal for the business. From an operational and a security standpoint, it's like that we need to make sure we understand how fast they can spin this stuff up and how how quickly they can allow people to have access to it and go, oh, go, oh, well. Hey, did you guys think about, hey, opening up these storage devices to the internet is maybe not the best way to approach this? Maybe you need to rethink how people access data in your application. So we need to spend more time with our business leaders and our app dev, app dev teams and going, have you thought about the exposure level that you're doing if you design it this way? And have you thought about it in these ways? And have you thought about building it in a way that minimizes access and only gives people access to what they need? And that is the discussions. If we're not having those, we've done ourselves a disservice and we've actually increased the risk level because we're unwilling to have that conversation. And that's the one thing so I'm let trying me ask, to tell everybody. Yeah. Let me ask that, you know, it seems in the last few years, and Patrick, you can you know add your uh, two cents to this, of course, please. We've really seen an increase in assessing risk uh, as opposed to necessarily just saber rattling the uh, sky is falling and it comes. To, you have to do this. It's it's dangerous, right? We're getting more sophisticated with. Um, you know, how much is it going to cost and how often does it happen? And do I really need to do that? I only have three out of three million or, you know what I'm saying? It it seems like it's become more sophisticated uh, from a a, uh, risk perspective. And then also uh, compliance seems to have uh, increased its reach, um, 
there are more concerns that reach more businesses. I mean, Patrick, I know we were talking before uh, Ken came on about some of the things we wanted to talk about with him. You want to throw in your comments? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Ken already said it. I mean, from a from a practical perspective, if I spin up a very small network, you know, a single VPC, maybe five virtual machines in it, and I point a cloud security posture manager at it, it'll find over a thousand items of inventory in that small network. Yep. So that's a thousand pieces of resource, whether they're in my data center or they're not, that I can somehow configure, which means I can get it wrong, right? And so mm -hmm. I hear you loud and clear when, you know, the business sees that capability as amazing. And we've heard, you know, the early cloud computing application examples where you're kind of time to value versus to your point, Ken, the procurement cycle, the hardware cycle, everything. I mean, it's, 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 it's a ridiculous comparison these days. Yet we also know that security happens to be the last thing that anyone ever thinks of, maybe not even thought of at all until your department comes along, Ken, right? So how do you get in that process without being a gate? How do you get in that process to review architectures to say, hey, business team, it's great that you want to use AWS, but it comes with these concerns, right? I mean, how do you do that without being a gate? So I, th I think the best way I can put it, and uh, I, I have truthfully had these conversations over the last six months a lot. Our job is a relationship job, right? So if you're at a senior level uh, in cybersecurity, it's as much about relationship building as it would be if I was a sales guy, right? If I'm a sales guy trying to sell me something, I got to do the same thing from in-house as a security leader. I have to sell my strategy. I have to sell I have to build a relationship with every business leader, with every <clears throat> dev leader, with every CIO that I work with and go, do you understand, I understand what you're trying to accomplish. This is what I'm trying to do to help you minimize risk. And again, it goes back to that business resiliency conversation. If I'm doing what I, if I can build that relationship and help them understand how I'm going to help them put resiliency into their program, going to allow them to actually operate faster and at a velocity that they want to operate at. And I'm not going to be the toll gate because I've told you up front the things that you need to be doing. And if you stay within the guardrails that I've designed, I am not going to step in and be a toll gate. I'm going to be out of your way. I'm going to let you operate at the velocity you want to. We're going to make sure that the risk level is where it needs to be. Go forth, conquer. If you try to step over that guardrail, we need to have an additional conversation. Right? An example of stepping over the guardrail. So let's say I, I have told you that, uh, let, let me think about it like this. Let's say I've said, okay, we have a secured environment. It's segmented off. Everything you do within this, the sensitive data lives inside this environment. You've now asked me to connect a, another environment, another environment into what we've considered sensitive in data, and you need me to punch a hole in the firewall or allow access from a desktop to this environment. That we need to have a conversation about, right? Mm -hmm. If your development that's really that's not me stepping out of bounds, I'd still have to come to you and ask you to punch a hole. I mean, I'm just trying to would it be like uh, I, I'm at home and I, I so I end up using some SAS that I'm not supposed to well, and, and some I mean, shadow well, IT well, kind of thing. Let's or? think about shadow IT in a way like this. And, and this is. We have authorized applications, right, that allow you to do it. If we've done our environment correctly and you bring all, you ask for a new device, a new SaaS platform, it needs connectivity right. into whatever we've locked now, right? You're right. still going to have to come to me and ask that question. 
are there situations where they're going to be able to connect stuff in and, and get to it from a SaaS thing? Probably. I mean, let's be honest. We're not perfect. It's going to happen. Yeah. You're eventually sure. going to find it where they're going to say, oh, well, yeah, we had Salesforce doing X. Now we're pulling this data into Salesforce. And sometimes that's that's through the conversation and the assessments we go through throughout the year, and we may find it, and it may be questions that we go, well, why don't you do this? What's the business need around it? Let's evaluate it, right? Yeah. The the worst thing that I think we can do is, is go, holy shit, this is the worst thing I've ever seen on the planet, and you're an idiot for doing it. The second I say that, yeah, yeah, I'm on defense. Broken the relationship, right? Yeah, exactly. So the the part of that is is when they ask me for what, ideally, what you've done is built a relationship.